Chapter Four of the Life and Adventures of Peter Wilkins, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. The Life and Adventures of Peter Wilkins by Robert Paltick, Chapter Four. I seemed to be very well satisfied whilst my master was speaking, but though I thought he talked like an angel, my former uneasiness seized me at parting with him. In short, without more consideration, I rose in the morning, early, and marched off, having first wrote to my wife at her aunt's, relating the state of the case to her, with my resolution, to leave England the first opportunity, giving her what comfort I could, assuring her, if i ever was a gainer in life she should not fail to be a partaker and promising also to let her know where i settled i walked at a great rate for fear my master's kindness should prompt him to send after me and taking the byways i reached by dark night a little village where i resolved to halt upon inquiry i found myself thirty-five miles from my master's i had eaten nothing all day and was very hungry and weary but my crown piece was as yet whole however i fed very sparingly being overpressed with the distress of my affairs and the confusion of my thoughts i slept that night tolerably but the morning brought its face of horror with it i had inquired overnight where i was and been informed that i was not above sixteen miles from bristol for which place i then resolved at my setting out in the morning after i had walked about three miles and had recollected a little my master's last discourse i found by degrees my spirit grew calmer than it had been since i left mr g at my house as i shall ever call it and looking into myself for the cause found another set of thoughts were preparing a passage into my mind which did not carry half the dread and terror with them that their predecessors had for i began to cast aside the difficulties and apprehensions i before felt in my way and encouraging the present motions soon became sensible of the benefit of a virtuous education and though what i had hitherto done in the immediate service of god i must own had been performed from force custom and habit and without the least attention to the object of the duty yet as under my mother at home and my master at the academy i had been always used to say my prayers as they called it morning and night i began with a sort of superstitious reflection to accuse myself of having omitted that duty the night before and also at my setting out in the morning and very much to blame myself for it and at the same instant even wondered at myself for that blame what says i is the real use of this praying and to whom or to what do we pray i see no one to pray to neither have i ever thought that my prayers would be answered it is true they are worded as if we prayed to god but he is in heaven does he concern himself with us who can do him no service can i think all my prayers that i have said from day to day so many years have been heard by him no sure if they had, I should scarce have sustained this hard fate in my fortune. But hold how have I prayed to him. 
have i earnestly prayed to him as i used to petition my mother for anything when i wanted it against her inclination no i can't say i have and would my mother have granted me such things if she had not thought i had from my heart desired them when i used to be so earnest with her no surely i can't say she had any reason for it but i had her indeed before me now i have not god in my view he is in heaven yet let me see my master and i can't help thinking he must know used to say that god is a spirit and not confined by the encumbrance of a body as we are now if it is so why may he not virtually be present with me though i don't perceive him why may he not be at once in heaven and elsewhere for if he insists not in parts nothing can circumscribe him and truly i believe it must be so for if he is of that supreme power as he is represented he could never act in so unconfined a capacity under the restraint of place but if he is an operative and purely spiritual being then i can see no reason why his virtual essence should not be diffused through all nature and then which i begin to think most likely why should i not suppose him ever present with me and able to hear me and why should not i when i pray have a full idea of the being though not of any corporeal parts or form of god and so have actually somewhat to be intent upon in my prayers and not do as i have hitherto done say so many words only upon my knees which i cannot help thinking may be as well without either sense or meaning in themselves as without a proper object in my mind to direct them unto these thoughts agitated me at least two miles working stronger and stronger in me till at length bursting into tears have i been doing nothing says i in the sight of god under the name of prayers for so many years yes it is certainly so well by the grace of god it shall be so no longer i will try somewhat more so looking round about me to see if i was quite alone i stepped into an adjoining copse and could scarce refrain falling on my knees till i came to a proper place for kneeling in i then poured forth my whole soul and spirit to god and all my strength every member every faculty was to the utmost employed for a considerable time in the most agreeable as well as useful duty i would indeed have begun with my accustomed prayers and had repeated some words of them when as though against and contrary to my design i was carried away by such rapturous effusions that to this hour when i reflect thereon i cannot believe but i was moved to them by a much more than human impulse however this ecstasy did not last above a quarter of an hour but it was considerably longer before my spirits subsided to their usual frame when i had a little composed myself how was i altered how did i condemn myself for all my past disquiet what calm thanks did i return for the ease and satisfaction of mind i then enjoyed and coming to a small rivulet i drank a hearty draught of water and contentedly proceeded on my journey i reached bristol about four o'clock in the afternoon having refreshed myself i went the same evening to the quay to inquire what ships were in the river whither bound and when they would depart my business was with the sailors 
of whom there were at that time great numbers there. But I could meet with no employ, though I gave out, I would gladly enter myself before the mast. After I had done the best I could, but without success, I returned to the little house I had dined at, and went to bed very pensive. I did not forget my prayers, but I could by no means be roused to such devotion as I felt in the morning. Next day I walked again to the quay, asking all I met, who looked like seafaring men, for employment, but could hear of none, there being many waiting for berths. And I feared my appearance, which was not so mean as most of that sort of gentry is, would prove no small disappointment to my preferment that way. At last, being out of heart with my frequent repulses, I went to a landing-place just by, and as I asked some sailors who were putting two gentlemen on shore if they wanted a hand on board their ship, one of the gentlemen, whom I afterwards found to be the master of a vessel bound to the coast of Africa, turned back, and looking earnestly on me, "'Young man,' says he, "'do you want employment on board?' I immediately made him a bow, and answered, "'Yes, sir.' said he, there is no talking in this weather, for it now blew almost a storm, but step into that tavern, pointing to the place, and I'll be with you presently. I went thither, and not long after came my future master. He asked me many questions, but the first was whether I had been at sea. I told him no, but I did not doubt, soon to learn the duty of a sailor. He then looked on my hand, and shaking his head, told me it would not do, for I had too soft a hand. I told him I was determined for the sea, and that my hand and heart should go together, and I hoped my hand would soon harden, though not my heart. He then told me it was a pity to take such a pretty young fellow before the mast, but if I understood accounts tolerably, and could write with a good hand, he would make me his steward, and make it worth my while. I answered in the affirmative, joyfully accepting his offer, but on his asking me where my chest was, for, says he, if the wind had not been so strong against me, I had fallen down the river this morning, I looked very blank, and plainly told him I had no other stores than I carried on my back. The captain smiled. Says he, Young man, I see you are a novice. Why, the meanest sailor in my ship has a chest, at least and perhaps something in it. Come, says he, my lad, I like your looks. Be diligent and honest. I will let you have a little money to set you out, and deduct it in your pay. He was then pulling out his purse, when I begged him, as he seemed to show me so great a kindness, that he would order somebody to buy what necessaries he knew I should want for me, or I should be under as great a difficulty to know what to get, and where to buy them, as I should have been at for want of them. He commended my prudence, and said he would buy them, and send them on board himself. So bid me trouble myself no more about them, but go to the ship in return of his boat, and stay there till he came, giving me a ticket to the boat's crew to take me in. When I came to the shore, the boat was gone off and at a good distance. But I hailed them, and, showing my ticket, they put back and took me safe to the ship, heartily glad that I was entered upon my new service. End of chapter 4 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista